of applause for our great Bible reader, Sean. I usually spring it on him last minute, and he's very humbly uh, accepts to read the word for us. All right. So yeah, so guys, it's, it's kind of crazy to think, but uh, we have been studying the life of David for like almost three months, um, and we're coming up towards some of, the, uh, some of the end. We've already been through one of the books, like 1 Samuel, and we're getting through uh, diving into 2 Samuel, and we've been really following his life through all these different seasons. I just kind of wanted to recap again, because again, we've been doing it for so many months that, you know, this overarching picture of like, why did we even start this journey of studying David's life? Um, and uh, the, the whole idea of remembering, even a good principle to remember everything in the Bible has to do with God's promises, right? The covenants, the covenants of the Lord. Um, and, and David is one that uh, God made a promise to that even today, coming even on this Christmas day, all ties into those promises that God gave to David thousands of years ago. And so even those promises of the Lord that he stays faithful to them back then, today, and forevermore. And we get to see how David's heart responds to all these ups and downs throughout his life, different seasons, um, but how he keeps his, Lord, uh, keeps his heart faithful to the Lord. Um, and again, David is the man that is after God's own heart, right? And so when we're studying him, we can use him as an example of how we can pursue the Lord from the heart. Uh, and Jesus desires, and God desires, the people who are after him in spirit and in truth. All right. uh, the last couple of weeks also, um, again, beyond the reading, um, we talked about uh, these different seasons in David's life. And you can kind of think of the cities that David's in as these different seasons. Uh, we looked at Bethlehem when he started off. David starting off as just a humble shepherd boy. Um, how he was faithful to the Lord even in those small seasons when he was uh, the most neglected of the children. Um, and, and still he was faithful to keep his heart before the Lord. I, I'm, I'm not the youngest child in my family, but as the middle child, I remember when I was a little kid, I used to cry all the time because I felt neglected because I was like right in the middle. Like my <laughs> sister got like all the, you know, like the attention. And then, and then when my little brother came, yeah, any other middle children in the, in the room here? Is anybody, did anybody else cry or feel, feel neglected? I distinctly remember one time we were in Chicago for like Thanksgiving and like I was just a little kid. I think we were there for a wedding or something. I was really, really small. I just cried like every single day, and my mom was like, why are you crying? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> All right, because I felt neglected. David was like, they didn't even get invited to the party, but he's, he's in that Bethlehem season, like forgotten. Right? Then he went to Gibeah. We studied Gibeah for a couple of weeks. Gibeah was when all of a sudden he kills Goliath. He becomes this national hero, right? Um, and all the praise, people are singing songs about him, right? Like he has a song. I mean, who's ever had a song written about them? in this room. Anybody? Anybody had a song written about them? No? Nobody? I think it's probably more common. Maybe like a girls. To, do you guys write songs for you guys? Is that still a thing? I mean, that was a thing right in like the 50s, right? Maybe. But yeah, I've never had a song written about me. If I did, it was probably one of my friends making fun of me or something like that, right? But David, they're singing songs about him. He's a national hero, right? Saul's killed his thousands. David, his tens of thousands. He's a national hero. How does David keep his heart in that? We looked at, look at the ways of uh, in Gibeah, and that was when he was in Saul's palace. All of a sudden, tables flip, right? And he's, uh, he's in the wilderness. He's in the doolum. He's in the caves. He's being pursued. He's all of a sudden goes from being a national hero to an outlaw, national pariah, right? And how does he keep his heart through that? We talked about that for a few weeks. Ziklag we covered a few weeks ago, um, but that's when David, almost in a, in, in a desperate move of compromise, he actually leaves the promised land. And he goes over to the Philistines. Um, and all these different at times when he's actually, it says like he's maybe not even asking the Lord what to do. And all of a sudden he goes out to uh, join the Philistines and all this trouble that he gets into. He ends up in the enemy army, like marching on Israel. Um, but the Lord's faithfulness to him throughout, uh, throughout all that. And then now we're finally coming to, to Hebron, all right, coming into this, this moment where he's 
the promises that he was given over a decade ago start to come to true, right? Samuel anoints him to be king, but David had to go through all these different seasons, starting from Bethlehem until he finally gets to, to Hebron here, where he starts to become anointed as king. But it's still not in the fullness yet, but we're starting to see how all these different pieces, all these different time frames, these seasons in David's life came together um, to prepare him for these moments. We, we looked at um, a couple of different times when he was betrayed, mistreated, falsely accused. You know, we, he went from that Gibeah season again, like we just said, and the tables were flipped, and all of a sudden he goes through all these different terrible things. And yet, what did David learn through it all is what we've been looking for these last three, month, last three months. Um, and how can we also learn from that example that in those seasons in our own life, how can we have faith that God is working in us, a process, right? A process of preparing us, a process of developing our hearts, right? We don't just get the, the, the big thing right away, but actually it's God's mercy to prepare our hearts to receive that. Um, I mean, how many people oftentimes think, man, if only, I just, uh, if only I just won the lottery, like everything would be great, right? Like everything would be awesome. But when you look at stories of people who win the lottery, right, what happens to them? It destroys their life, right? It destroys their life. And so sometimes when those things that we think are really going to be great for us are really good, actually it's God's mercy not to give it to us until we're ready, right? I was actually talking with Daniel the other day about something. Like Daniel was like, I want to see like healings, miraculous healings. And if that happened, then like then there'd be revival and people would turn, right? And I think oftentimes, sometimes we think the same thing too, right? Like, man, if only this miracle happened right now and people saw it, oh man, it'd be awesome. Um, but this this past uh, week, at, at, we have a Friday skit night teaching, um, and uh, there, we, we talked a little bit about the transfiguration also. Like transfiguration, uh, Jesus only showed a couple of his close friends, right? Jesus didn't show all of Israel him transfigured in his glory, uh, but he only showed a couple of his friends. And why? He reserved it for the people whose hearts knew him well, right? And even the Israelites in the wilderness, when they saw miraculous things happen, it didn't change them that they, they still fell into temptation and idolatry, right? So again, we see God is, is patient with us, but he wants to see us develop in our hearts. And David is the perfect prime example about that. David had a heart that was after the Lord. And so through all these ups and downs, even with the good things and the bad things, God was preparing his heart, preparing his heart for kingship. Um, and we see a perfect kind of outline of this. So if you guys remember a couple weeks ago, so we were in 1 Samuel 27, and even the first verse of Samuel 27, this is when David leaves the promised land. He goes to Ziklag, and what does it say? It says, David in his heart said, now I shall perish by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me than I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. And Saul will despair of me to seek any more in part of Israel, so I shall escape out of his hands. So David, in this, where the funny thing about, if you open your Bibles and look through 1 Samuel 27, the Lord's name isn't mentioned in it at all, right? This is David's time when he's like running from Saul. He doesn't actually ask the Lord at all or inquire. But as we see him develop later on in the Amalekites, this is the part of the story, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, when the Amalekites come and they steal all the wives, steal all the, all, everything from, from David's camp, and the people are about to, to stone him. What does David do? You guys might remember a few weeks ago, my sister made me stand with, uh, I think it was Frank's jacket over my, over my head. But the example that all of a sudden, it goes from 20, chapter 27, where David, the whole chapter doesn't even mention the Lord at all, to this moment of crisis. And David finally says, and turns to the Lord, and he actually enters the place of prayer, right? His heart remembers that, actually, I need to start with praying and seeking the Lord's heart. And, and so that's what we're invited into, too, in those difficult seasons is just like David to enter into that place of prayer 
You can do that. You don't have to wear a jacket over your head. You don't have to have an ephod over you. Um, but that's the principle. The heart is actually turning to the Lord first. And the same thing here. And so after all these things that we've seen, again, we've been studying for three months, seeing David up and down, up and down. He enters into this moment where finally he's anointed king. And what does he do? The first thing, all right? We just read it. Sean just read it for us in verse 1. It happened after this that David inquired of the Lord. All right? Like we're seeing the full circle come together. David learned through all these things where he's persecuted, where he was a hero, where he was an outcast, where he's outlaw. And finally, in this chapter, 2 Samuel chapter 2, we're seeing in the verse, this amazing thing happens to him. And what does he do? The first thing he does is he turns to the Lord. He turns and inquires of the Lord. He's king now, right? He's anointed. Like he's, his enemies have died. Last week, Becca talked about, you know, the death of Saul and how, how uh, David handled that. But now he's finally, his enemies are gone. And, and yet, He's, he's no longer, even though he has all the authority now, he says, Lord, what would you have me do, right? Essentially, what shall I do and where shall I go? That's the development of David's heart. And it didn't just start that way, right? We saw from the very beginning that this whole process God brought him through, he was developing his heart for this season of kingship. What shall I do and where shall I go? You know, David learned this uh, principle this key principle that we are uh, called to learn. Even in the New Testament, James talks about this, that I'm not my own. Even when you're uh, in the cave and, and being persecuted, even when you're at the top of the, the nation and crowned, I am not my own. Everything, everything we have, everything we do or desire fit through the frame of what does the Lord desire, right? James chapter four, um, David knew this and learned this. Come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city Spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Again, we see David's progression. First Samuel 27, he talks to himself. David said in his heart, I'm going to do this. I'm going to run from Saul. I'm going to do this. These are my plans. And then here in 2 Samuel chapter 2, we see the first thing he does instead is actually talking to God. David inquired of the Lord. I don't know if you guys have heard this quote before. It's usually on these like uh, little posters with like a pretty background or something or somebody has it in their, in their house or whatever. But the, I like this quote. It's not a Bible verse, but worry is a conversation you have with yourself about things you cannot change. Prayer is a conversation you have with God about the things he can't change. And, uh, and so we see in that, that Ziklag season, David was talking in his own heart. He's like, Saul's going to kill me. I'm worried. I'm going to flee the promised land. I'm going to get out of here. This is what I have to do. And the same thing that James talks about, right? Like, ah, this is, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to handle these problems. This is what I'm going to, this is what I think needs to happen. But actually, later on, he learns it's actually prayer is the first place we start. And that's our calling too, starting with prayer. Everything we do, starting with seeking the Lord, right? Instead of worrying, praying. And it's easy for us to mix up those things. In fact, sometimes in the prayer room, I still worry. Like, I'm just sitting there just thinking about my own problems, thinking about what I need to do, like, thinking about, oh, man, like, instead of actually praying, even though I'm sitting in the place of prayer, my mind is actually set on what do I need to do, you know, what do I need to do, what, what needs to happen here, telling the Lord, but actually asking him, right, seeking and inquiring of him, talking with him, right, instead of just telling him. So that's that, that, that difference between worrying. Worrying, I'm just talking to myself internally. Prayer is when we're actually seeking the Lord, that conversation with him, all right? And I fully confess that I oftentimes have these one-way one way prayers where I'm just talking to myself, all right? And so I even challenged in this uh, reading in David's life, 
um, to change my approach in the prayer room or change my approach in the times of prayer, remembering that it's not just a worry session, but it's actually seeking the Lord and inquiring of him. And that's what David has learned here, too. We've seen him develop through all these things. <clears throat> so again, through all these difficult seasons, David just didn't, didn't just arrive there automatically. The Lord didn't just give him grace to do that. He actually had to walk through all these different trials. He walked through the wilderness, through the time in the caves, through the Ziklag and Philistines living among the enemies. He wouldn't have been ready for the time of kingship if not for all these different things. Right? He wouldn't have been ready to seek the Lord when God gave him the, the promise, unless he had gone through all these things. And so even as, we're, uh, even as we're learning from David, I want us all to think about that as well. Like, I, sometimes some of you may be walking through difficult seasons. Some of you may be walking through disappointments. Some of you may have promises that you feel like the Lord has given you. You haven't seen the fullness of it yet. And while it may be discouraging, how much are we turning to the Lord and saying, God, I trust your process of developing my heart to seek you. So that even when I do get that, whenever I am in those good seasons, I don't forget you. I remember to seek you first. Uh, Hebron is that time for David. So we're entering into this Hebron season. Remember all those different cities and seasons of David's life. And David finally enters into it. But yet, it's not the fullness of it yet either. All right. So as, uh, uh, as Sean read for us, really out of the 12 tribes, how many were following David? Just one. All right. Only his family tribe, Judah, followed him. The rest of them were still following Saul. All right. So even though while he was anointed king, he's still only gotten one of the 12. All right. But he's starting to enter into it. But it's actually the longest season out of all those different cities and seasons of, of David's life. This one's the longest. Seven, uh, basically seven years, seven and a half years, seven and a half years where he's starting to enter into that promise of the kingdom. And yet he doesn't have the fullness of it yet. Um, but it's almost like a recap. If you read chapter, we don't have, I didn't want to make poor Sean read all three chapters of chapter two, three, four, and five, even though I'm sure he would have uh, very gladly. But if you, if you read it and look through it, it's actually almost a recap of everything that we learned from, from before. Uh, David, again, practices what we've seen him practice in those previous seasons. He practices patience. He practices mercy. He practices being a peacekeeper. All right? David, again, shows mercy to the house of Saul, even when he has opportunities to crush them. David, again, shows mercy to the people, uh, the, the Benjaminites, the Jabesh Gilead, uh, these people that would otherwise have turned him into Saul. David even shows mercy to Abner, the, the general of Saul's armies. Um, he shows mercy to all of these different people, even though they would have been his enemies. It's, again, that practice of the Sermon on the Mount. Like, I'm, as we've studied David, I've continued to be struck by the parallels between what Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount and David's own life. We talked a little bit a few weeks ago about, uh, about mercy. And in some sense, David, you know, when we look at David versus Saul, uh, David was somebody that showed mercy. Saul was not, right? Whenever Saul was scared about somebody, namely David, he threw spears at him and tried to kill him, right? But David, even when his enemy was right in front of him, Remember, we talked about Saul being like naked and taking a, a poop in a cave right before him, and David still didn't lift his hand. He showed mercy. And later on in his life, even when David fails, we see that God actually shows mercy to David because he was one who showed mercy. And that's exactly what Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are merciful, they'll be shown mercy. David walked that out. In this season here, in Hebron, again, only one of the 12 tribes is following David. The rest of them are still following the house of Saul. There's actually a civil war going on. They're, they're, they're fighting with each other over the kingdom. And yet David continues to, to pursue peace. 
in that. He shows mercy to the house of Saul. He shows mercy to Abner. He shows mercy to the Benjamites. He becomes a peacemaker. And we see this throughout the next couple of chapters. Uh, and blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called, what? Sons of God. Sons of God. I think it's a beautiful thing, too, that like David, who showed peace, uh, showed mercy and was a peacemaker in this season, receives then the promise that actually his son will be also the son of God and the prince of peace. He's a peacemaker. He's the peacemaker. And even in this Advent season, as we celebrate the coming of the prince of peace, we can look back at his great, 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 great grandfather, David, and look and see, wow, David was also a peacemaker. He foreshadowed Jesus in this sense. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 and 48. Again, the words of David's great, 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 bajillion, you know, 14, 15 generations. Uh, uh, actually, I think it's 28 generations if you count Matthew. Generations, great, grandchild. I don't know how many greats that is. But Jesus speaks about this, about loving your enemies. And David walks that out towards the house of Saul, towards Abner, towards the Benjaminites. and says, Matthew chapter 5, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies and bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. You know, Becca shared last week a little bit about, uh, about this, like loving your enemies in the, in the context of David's enemy, Saul, dying. And David doesn't gloat. David doesn't celebrate. David doesn't rejoice. What does he do? He mourns. He mourns over his enemy, Saul. Saul, who had hunted him, who had taken away his position as general, who had taken away his wife, who threatened his family. Even after Saul dies, David blesses him blesses his children and blesses his family because he loved his enemies. Becca talked a little bit last week about, you know, that difficulty in discernment. Sometimes we think discernment is uh, seeing, like, the bad in people, right? But that's actually easy, right? That's easier than seeing the good in people, to see how God sees um, them and the beauty and the goodness that God has put in them and called out in them. And that's the more sometimes more difficult part of discernment. And David practiced that. And I love seeing this, this passage here uh, from Sermon on the Mount that Jesus spoke. Again, we're reading, when we read Sermon on the Mount, we're actually reading this whole family, this family of David. Uh, David practiced it, David preached it, and then his, his great, 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 great grandson, Jesus, practiced it and preached it. Uh, son, of, son of God and son of David. That same thing in Proverbs 27. Um, do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it. And it displeased him, and he turned away his wrath from him. You know, Jesus was the same way. Even in the moments on the cross where he was dying, when he was being persecuted, he was dying for the ones that were actually nailing him on the cross. And he said, what did he say? He said, Father, forgive them. Right? He loved his enemies. David was a peacemaker, and his son, Jesus, is also a peacemaker, the prince of peace, the ultimate peacemaker. Because of their trust in the Lord, because of their knowledge that uh, trusting the Father's plan. Jesus did the same thing. He trusted the Father. He submitted himself to the Father's plan. In the same way, David submitted himself to God's plan. He understood that everything was in the Father's hands. And how did he understand that? Because he started in the place of prayer. Right? And it's amazing to see how he moved through that, moving from somebody who was uncertain and not seeking the Lord in Ziglag 
to somebody who, when the kingdom is finally starting to come to him, he starts by turning to the Lord in prayer. As that principle for us to, to, as people of prayer, as a house of prayer, people have committed ourselves to prayer, we have to learn that also, right? Everything to start with prayer, to seek the Lord as the first, as the first thing. You know, and it's been really cool over these last couple months to, to study David's life. And, um, you know, David's life is kind of like a TV series. Actually, I hope that they do make a TV series out of David's life. It'd be pretty, pretty cool. Maybe the chosen people will do that or something. But, I mean, there's, there's intrigue, right? There's, viol- there, you know, there's violence, there's ups and downs, there's music. I mean, it'd be, it would make a really good, good TV series. And, but over the last three months, we've got to see that in David, growing up from, from a boy um, to a king, right? The boy that would be king. Um, and while we look at that, I'm struck again by Jesus. Jesus. When Jesus says everything in the Old Testament points to him, all the law and the prophets, this is no different. When we look at David's life, David moving from Bethlehem to Jerusalem, uh, especially this Christmas season, let's look and see Jesus in that as well. Um, you know, we talked about Bethlehem, you know, David starting off as a shepherd boy uh, and moving through all these different seasons. You know, I was looking at it and I was thinking, wow, how much more so we can look at Jesus's life being foreshadowed in that as well, right? Right now in Christmas, we're looking at Bethlehem, you know, born in a manger, coming humbly, right? Shepherds attended to his birth, just like David in that lowly season. Jesus humbled himself and came as a boy, as a man, as a human, took on flesh, born in a manger, surrounded by sheep and shepherds, right? That lowly season, but he was faithful in the small. For 30 years, Jesus was just a carpenter's son, right? When he first started his ministry, what did people say? Who is this? This is just the carpenter boy, right? We know his family. He, he started in that humble season. Then he entered into a season of a celebration. Jesus, national hero, thousands come out to see him. Just like David. David had a song about him. People sang songs about Jesus too, right? As he entered in, Hosanna, like celebrated. Um, David killed his ten th- tens of thousands. Jesus fed his tens of thousands, right? He fed 5,000. Tens of thousands heard him speak. This, this celebrated season. But they also had a wilt- wilderness season. Jesus, who had to endure uh, trials and te- tribulations and temptations in a wilderness. And, and also coming through where the, the leaders of Israel persecuted him. Just like Saul wanted to kill David, the leaders of Israel wanted to kill Jesus. Ziklag, he's nailed to the cross. Jesus is nailed to the cross, descends into the grave, surrounded. The enemy looks like they've won. But then he arises and enters and comes into the kingdom, right? His anointed king, the resurrection. And this is that Hebron season where Jesus actually is anointed king. But the kingdom is now, but it's not fully yet, right? It's not fully yet. Jesus is ruling and reigning, but it's not the fullness of the kingdom. Because we look to one day where Jesus' desire is not just Hebron, you know, but is to rule and reign in Jerusalem. And David had to wait seven years. Again, we looked at that passage. That's the longest season for him. Out of all these seasons, David's longest season is that Hebron season. And I submit to you, brothers and sisters, that Jesus right now, that Hebron season, he is king. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. But as we remember his coming, we look forward to his second advent as well, the day when he enters into Jerusalem season, the Jerusalem season when he rules and reigns from Zion, rules and reigns from his kingdom. And Jesus is the Again, it's beautiful, right? Everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus. Guys, we're, we're in that Hebron season. Our desire is for him to rule and reign from Jerusalem. He is king. The kingdom is now, but it's also not yet, right? It's not yet. And that anticipation, that Maranatha cry is what we enter into today. And David, in his Hebron season, he learned from all these previous seasons. 
the New Testament says Jesus learned, right? He grew in wisdom and stature, and he learned obedience. And right now, he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. Do I need this one, too? Oh, it's red. Oh, am I getting red? Okay. Well, that, maybe that's the Lord's telling me to, to end. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I wanted to look at, uh, I wanted to look at one last verse uh, here. But um, it's Psalm 110. And some of you may know Psalm 110. Uh, Psalm 110 is the most quoted Old Testament passage in the New Testament. All right, it's quoted, I think it's quoted over 10 times. All right, throughout, throughout the Gospels, throughout the Epistles, uh, of the letters, this is the most quoted verse in the New Testament from the Old Testament. Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Jesus, risen from the grave, ascended to the Father, is sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. He is king, but yet we still wait for that fullness of that kingdom in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem. And just like David, David having to wait, Jesus is waiting. Jesus is waiting at the right hand of the Father. He's been waiting for 2,000 years, 2,000 years. And we're seeing the, the beginnings of the, 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 the promises, right? Like Jesus is waiting. What is he waiting for? He's waiting the gospel to reach all nations. The, the gospel go forth to every t- tongue, tribe, and nation, and the end will come. He's waiting patiently in the same way that David waited patiently because he trusted in the Lord. The same way that his mercy, David showed mercy to his enemies. Jesus, sitting at the right hand of the Father, showing mercy to his enemies. We, who are, were his enemies, I, mean, I don't know about you guys, but, you know, if I just go back two generations, my, my family were, were idol worshipers, right? Two generations. But he showed mercy to us, even while enemies. And even while he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, his mercy is the patience to wait. Right? He's waiting for the fullness of that promise to come forth. Um, and, and also... Um, Lastly, that we want to anticipate that in our own lives, right? So whatever um, season that you're in, that you're going through, can we look at David's example and pray first and be patient for the fullness of that? Especially in this Christmas season, people getting together with families. Um, what, are, what are you praying for in this time? What are you seeking the Lord for? Not worrying about, but praying about. You know, what are you, what are you praying about? Uh, I know something that worries me that I need to pray about more. Sometimes, I, you know, I think about my family, you know, uh, and reconciliation. Um, and also, uh, what are you praying about in your family or the seasons of your life? Or maybe it's sickness in your body. What are you praying for? Can we, like David, patiently wait with the knowledge that there is going to be the fulfillment of it, that God is going to answer those things as we turn to him in prayer first? Um, just like Jesus is. Jesus, he, he deserves to rule and reign. Uh, he's bought by his blood and purchased uh, by his blood, worship in every tongue, tribe, and nation. And yet he waits because of his mercy. He waits because he's a peacemaker, that peace would come. Just like the angels told the shepherds, peace and good news. Jesus is waiting. He's waiting for the day that he rules and reigns in Zion, that the Lord will send his rod of strength out of Zion in in Psalm 110. He's waiting. And so we too, as followers of Jesus, can wait, persevere in that place of prayer for things that we've been promised for. You know, that's victory in our own lives over sin, whether that's reconciliation in our family, whether that's you're waiting and praying for healing for sickness, um, let's take the example of David and Jesus to wait, to wait on the Lord and to seek him first, that ephod, that place of prayer uh, to seek him first. So that's what I want to, to end with and go into the time of prayer um, and to pray for these things. I don't know if we've got a guitar back again. Oh, yeah, Jeff changed the guitar strings. So we've got an instrument here. Oh, okay. Oh, all right, switching it up on the piano. 
Um, but yeah, I wanted to pray for those, those three things. All right, those, uh, those three things. So again, when we read the Psalms, somebody once told me when you read the Psalms, there's a couple ways to look at the Psalms, looking at perspective of the original author, perspective from Jesus, and perspective from our own life. And when I look at Psalm 10, I can see David, the perspective of his, him as the original author. David saying that he's going to wait on the Lord. You know, this Psalm was originally for David, and he waited. He waited in that Hebron season for the Lord to fill all the things that he was promised. And the same way we can look at it from our perspective, you know, the things that we're praying for and seeking the Lord for, can we be patient and wait and rely and trust that our prayers are heard by the Lord? And the last thing is in this Christmas season, from Jesus' perspective, Psalm 110, he's, he's waiting. Right? He's at the right hand of the Father, waiting for the gospel to go forth, uh, for people's hearts to be prepared for the day that he rules and reigns out of Zion. So 